Hi listeners, as we near the end of our third season, I just wanted to thank all of you for making ed infinitum a part of your routine. Whether you're a teacher, a student, a parent, or just someone interested in school, you've been the reason I keep sinking so many hours into researching and making these episodes. And you'll be the reason it continues into a fourth season, if it does. Yes, I'm coming hat in hand, just like at a school fundraiser, to ask you to please, if you value this show and what it offers, make a donation to help sustain this podcast. You can go to our website, www.ed-infinitum.com, and give what you feel is reasonable. In return, you'll get that warm, fuzzy feeling from knowing your gift is keeping something good afloat, and of course, if enough people do what you're doing, you'll get a fourth season. Here's your chance to be an education hero. Seize it! Okay, now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Ed Infinitum, the podcast that makes school the subject of study. I'm your host, David Nuremberg. This is Season 3, Episode 13, Two Voices from the COVID Classroom. As the COVID-19 pandemic infection numbers are at an all-time high in our country and over 400,000 Americans have died, school districts, including those in major cities across the country, Boston, Chicago, Baltimore, New York, are declaring their intention to reopen schools. In Chicago in particular, teachers' unions have been at the forefront of opposition to these measures, and too often, news media renders such conflicts in stark binaries. On one side, parents, desperate to get their children, who are disconnected and learning poorly, if at all, over remote conditions, back into classrooms. On the other, Frightened teachers accusing the school systems of poor planning and callous disregard for the health of students and faculty alike. And the whole issue of reopenings get framed as this sort of which side of the trade-off are you willing to make, safety versus learning sort of thing. In episode 12 a few weeks ago, if you recall, I shared some of the national numbers around remote learning, and yes, they are grim. But it also might be a mistake to necessarily assume that learning conditions are humming along swimmingly at those schools where in-class operations have been happening this whole time. I shared some of my own experiences as a hybrid school teacher in that episode as well, and talked about just how challenging even basic classroom lessons and interactions have become. And as we're still awaiting the collection and analysis of nationwide data here, we're left mainly with anecdotes. Having shared some of my own already, with this week's episode, I put out a call to teachers to share some of their stories as to just what it's been like for them to teach under the current conditions. This isn't a scientific study, and as such, I just wanted to walk my own voice out of the episode entirely and let these two teachers speak for themselves. Their opinions and perspectives are their own and do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, but in my experience, they, if not represent, at least reflect the perspective of a lot of teachers I've spoken with and read testimonies from. In this case, they're both from Massachusetts. One teaches in an affluent suburban school environment and the other in a tech-voke agricultural school environment. They provide two, and only two, visions of what schools undergoing at least some degree of of in-person operations during the pandemic look like. But hopefully, they're two visions that at least go beyond the two-dimensional extremes you'll read about in the papers. And from here on in, I'll turn things over to them. Hi, my name's Arielle. I am a high school chemistry and physics teacher at a public high school here in Massachusetts at a vocational school. We have been operating in the hybrid high flex model since uh, the middle of September when most people went back to school. We are allowed to 
be remote on Mondays where classes themselves run on an abbreviated schedule from 7.50 a.m. until approximately 1.30 or so p.m. and then we have office hours until 2.20. The other days we have moved from an eight period day to a block schedule where four blocks meet. Each class meets twice a week and it's an A week, B week cohort. So for example, I will have a class with in-person students on Tuesday and Thursday and the other class, for example, on Wednesday and Friday. And then the next week, those same the next group of students come the next Tuesday, Thursday, or Wednesday, Friday. Each of my classes have about four different cohorts of students. My A week, my B week, my all in person, and my all remote. And because of this, we're teaching synchronously. And it's definitely been a challenge for us to do all of this at the same time. When we were teaching in the spring, there were very few, if any, quite frankly, expectations given. At the beginning of the spring, we were told it was everything on pause. We were we could do enrichment if we wanted, but nothing was expected. And then we were n not supposed to do new material until really May. And at that point, we really lost engagement from a lot of our students. They didn't attend classes even when we offered them, and some of them uh, chose to work outside the home instead. So for these students coming back now, it's been definitely a challenge because we set this model for them back in the spring that remote learning wasn't a necessity and quite frankly wasn't part of their grade. And now the expectation is that they do the work and they attend and they engage and participate. It's been a difficult transition for many of them. When we're talking about the biggest challenges, it's hard to know where to start. It's challenging to redesign teaching for what we know of best practices. We're really throwing them out the window with this current model. My classroom is usually set up in groups with collaborative work and cross-communication, hands-on experiments, and now we're really not supposed to do much of that. I had to have my tables moved out and have desks instead. Students can't be in groups, or if so, we're having them log in both in person and remote, and we're putting them in breakout rooms, which is fine, but it's just not as good. Uh, it is hard to see what students are working on and to be able to give help. It's hard to look at what one group is doing and eavesdrop on the other at the same time. It's hard really to get a sense of what students know at any particular time. We're also really struggling with a lack of comfort with what we're being told. Many teachers in that I know in my school but also in other schools don't know if we're being presented with a full picture of what's happening in terms of safety protocols. Our students are struggling. They are struggling with executive functioning. And it's really highlighting skills that we knew students were working on developing, but we didn't realize how 
lack how how those skills really had not been fully developed until now because this situation requires an, an immense amount of executive functioning and our students are really working towards that and we as a society need to find a way to really help these kids develop these skills so they can really become better functioning as adults and learn all everything they're meant to do advantages and opportunities we're really being able to stretch the way we do things and because I have to redesign every single lesson I have to be more thoughtful about what's important and quite frankly what's not gives me different ways to think about assessment what are really our goals of assessment and what is the best way to reach them are we really reaching those higher level thinking skills instead of simple things what are the different forms that we can do all these things and how can they be better but also how are we engaging everybody and what opportunities does this pose for us for students and who are sick and but they can't come to classes but maybe there are other ways to really keep help them stay involved I've definitely become much more tech savvy in my classroom I have uh, five devices going at any one time which is exhausting but there's definitely things I would not have been able to do before if I had a magic wand and I could set policy first of all I would have insisted that the state give directions instead of promising that they would and then not providing it to the schools at all so the schools were left to their own devices which is why we see such disparity in the way things are being done I would make sure that if we have to go back at all that they are desks are actually six feet apart I would insist that there was cleaning supplies providing that teachers weren't responsible for doing cleaning and teaching for groups of students and the high flex model is really not sustainable for educators or really for students in that matter either so if we had to do hybrid it would be a week on week off and quite frankly we would also have the teachers who could teach a week on and then teach them remotely week off so it wouldn't be high flex when COVID is under control do I think things will go back to the way they were in your school I don't know I think there is the conversations that I really wish we were having I think we're not going to have what is an equitable education how are we addressing issues of systemic racism how what do grades mean what do assessments mean I want to have these conversations and I don't think we're going to have them I think we're going to go back to the status quo and not really push things further there's a lot we can do to make this better and I'm looking forward to seeing ways we can move on but it's really hard and I think for many of us we're exhausted they're excellent educators I know in Massachusetts and throughout the country who are leaving the profession I'm scared at the brain drain that we're going to have as a result of this at the way teachers have been treated and at the unsustainable expectations put upon us we have a lot to offer but I think 
that we are not being able to show. And I think that the models that are presented are setting everybody up, teachers and students, up for failure. Thank you. That was Ariel. And our second voice for today is from Anne. Hello, my name is Anne. I teach ELA for a middle school that is a suburban public middle school. My school has been operating since the fall between a hybrid and remote model. Since the end of the school year, the year prior, there has been a lot of contention between the school committee and the committee of parents and the teachers union about which mode to follow. Our superintendent retired right at the peak of the pandemic. He had already been planning on retiring and his assistant superintendent became the interim superintendent. So there was an extra complication in the mode of operation. And the interim superintendent had to design three different plans, a remote plan, a hybrid plan, and a full-in model. And before the school year started this year, the school committee had to come up with a vote on what model the school year would start in, with the understanding that there could be a pivot between the three different models. And a majority of teachers really wanted to start remote, considering there hadn't been a lot of questions answered regarding the safety of the buildings or the protocols. And ultimately, the vote came down to 4-3 in favor of the hybrid model. And there had been questions about whether the remote model would start the school year because there could have been a 30-day stipulation of the remote model into the hybrid model, but that would have meant that they should have voted for the remote model. There was some confusion on the school committee's part regarding that. Um, I had never really paid attention to school committee meetings before the pandemic had started, but for a lot of teacher friends and me, this became like a sports match uh, our spouses or partners or people that we lived with would constantly hear us shouting and cheering and booing as we watched the proceedings since they were all available digitally because we couldn't meet in person. The school year started in the hybrid model. It started mid-September. For our district, the hybrid model means that the students are divided between cohort A and cohort B, cohort A being last names A through L, and cohort B being K through Z. Ultimately, they changed it to A through K and L through Z. (laughs) And it actually divided the students in half pretty well. The hybrid model meant that students would come into the building on Monday and Tuesday, and then they would be learning Thursday and Friday, while the other half of the students were learning from home on Monday and Tuesday and coming into the building Thursday and Friday. Wednesday was considered a half day of direct instruction where students would have four half hour periods of meeting with certain teachers that they chose and then spending the second half of the afternoon working on assignments that were posted in Google Classroom. The original model for Wednesdays was supposed to be um, four separate office hours that or half hours that teachers would hold. So students who really needed some help could log in and get that support before working on the assignment for Wednesday. However, some parents called in, wrote in, complained that their students were missing out on learning. And so a very strange mandate of having four classes that students had the option to go to, but they had to go to four happened, so attendance went completely haywire on Wednesdays. 
the justification for remote Wednesdays was to deep clean the building. Um, since the hybrid model started, we've gone remote multiple times, mostly because numbers were skyrocketing. The first time that we went remote, parent, a lot of parents complained because the metrics that we had in our MOU was 3%, and that made us pivot because of the number of cases that were in the buildings. Parents complained, held a protest outside of the superintendent's office. That was about 10 parents and several children that they pulled out of school in order to protest. And there was a change in the MOU where the union bargained for having transparency regarding the numbers in schools in order to up the pivot point to 5%. And that got rid of a lot of our bargaining power as a union. So we've gone remote again, but the language in the new MOU has language such as once the 5% threshold is reached, there may be a discussion or there may be a change. And this vague language has justified sending us back to school now where there's 6% positivity, 150 cases in the town. And we also don't have people who are like available to be testing us regularly as a school and as a staff. So we don't really know what the numbers are. So there's been a lot of back and forth. The students are really struggling with um, transitions between going remote and going hybrid. We've noticed that when we were remote for several weeks in a row, students really thrived under the consistency. And we obviously acknowledge that there are a lot of things going on at home that make it much harder to learn. Um, but being afraid in a school building uh, isn't great for students or staff either. So the parents have a lot of pull in this town. A lot of them have written about how they don't have childcare now, and that has been a, a big pushing point for constantly getting people back into the building right away. Um, the... So one of the questions was, how has this presented a different environment versus how your school handled the onset of the pandemic last spring? Last spring, when the pandemic was first um, prevalent in our town, we live in a relatively conservative town. A lot of people don't believe in mask wearing. A lot of people don't take heed to science because they want life to go back to normal as soon as possible and are expending a lot of energy into trying to strong arm that into happening instead of following the rules in order to bring the numbers down. So when the lockdown first happened, it had been mandated by Governor Baker and that shut a lot of things down. We were told on the Friday afternoon, I think it was March 12th or 13th, that we were going remote. I think we were told at two o'clock on that day. So some people had already left their classrooms and that we were going remote for two weeks. And we had been told repeatedly when we had asked questions as teachers, how should we prepare for this? We're ultimately going to be going remote at some point. What's the plan? And there was a lot of deny, a lot of denial that this was ever going to reach our town. So we didn't have a lot of plans ahead of time. Some proactive teachers tried to put some things together, but there wasn't a lot of guidance. So the, the online mode was a huge shift for everybody, especially kids, especially teachers who have taught for 30 years of their career without having to rely so much on technology at a big learning curve. A lot of the younger people at our school were teaching the older people. 
how to attach a PDF, how to connect to Google Meet. And we didn't really have adequate technology, like one-on-one -on -one technology for the kids at that point. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of a learning curve for all of us. Now that we have double digits of cases in buildings, there's been a lot of downplay of how severe those cases are. I personally think that pivot point should be preventative and proactive to keep cases from ever being in schools, while now it seems that pivot points are once it gets to a crazy amount of cases is when we remote pivot. For a while, our superintendent was having us go remote for two days and then letting us know on Wednesday if we were going to be back in the building or not, which was very, very hard for a learning model for students and for teachers, made it very hard to plan um, for several weeks. We would not know on Friday afternoon what the plan was for Monday, nor what the plan was for Thursday until Wednesday. And the the constant pivoting was really hard on parents as well because a decision would be made and then would be changed by the next afternoon and it made it very hard for parents to plan and teachers to plan and students to plan and meanwhile districts around us were having different um mo's of okay here's our plan for the next two weeks no matter what, it's not going to change, so you can plan accordingly, or we will be remote until this point of the month, next month. Something that was consistent, something that helped everybody plan and always know with concrete pivot points when people would go remote. Right now, our numbers keep getting fudged. We're not really understanding how we have 30 cases on the first day and then 11 cases on the next day and then 22 cases the day after that. So there's a lot of uncertainty. There's still a lack of transparency that the union should not have had to negotiate for in the first place. So to answer that question regarding how the school handled the onset of the pandemic last spring, last spring there was a lot of denial that it was ever going to reach this town or that we were going to have to go remote. And then once we did go remote, teachers really banded together as usual to uphold the entire education system and make things happen. And we were exhausted by the time summer hit. We were bombarded with late work. We had students doing an entire term of work overnight and then handing in minimal things, but we knew all students would likely pass anyway. So we wanted to just really focus on the social emotional encouraging part of just keeping some skills sharp. As long as students are reading and writing and practicing their skills that they were gonna be okay. We, we wanted to show them that we were there for them first. and. I'm sure students saw a lot of uncertainty in the adults' behaviors around them and they wanted to find something grounding. So for some students, school was that lifeline of consistency because we were remote until the remainder of the school year. Now we're constantly back and forth. Kids don't know what to expect. Parents don't know what to expect. And it's created a lot of tension between parents. Parents are turning against teachers teachers are exhausted and spent, students are seeing how much they can get away with without having certain boundaries um, for structures and it's causing a lot of mayhem everywhere. Uh, another question, what have been the biggest challenges for teachers and for students, for particular groups of students? The biggest challenges for teachers is that parents have a lot of 
access to what their students are doing grade-wise. They can check their grades get updated live every day. Um, some students are very self-sufficient in managing their time. Other students really need an adult to remind them to wake up, to brush their teeth, to log into their computer when we were in the hybrid model, to bring their charger to school, um, to bring their computer to school. Some students forgot to bring their school computer. A lot of students were counting on constant reminders and this disconnect between being home versus at school kind of got that routine and consistency a little jumbled. Uh, for teachers specifically, because parents could listen in on classes, they could also provide their opinion about what a teacher was teaching their child. Um, other parents were so overwhelmed because they weren't being financially supported by the government to be an active learning supporter of their child that they were very, very overwhelmed and pretty hands-off around uh, the classwork their student was completing. And then asking the teachers, why didn't you tell me my student was failing when it's the week before the term is over? Um, particular groups of students, the students who really, really relied on the structure of school started to realize that there were places for wiggle room and gray areas that ultimately led to forming some really bad habits, like not waking up on time or in our attendance policy for our district is that if a student come, if a student logs into one class of the four class blocks that we have a day, then they count as being present. So a student could miss the first three classes and then attend the last class and count as present for the day. And students started to do that when they were caught on to that because it wouldn't mark them as absent. There are still students by almost the end of term two who say they don't know the classroom codes or they don't know how to check Google Classroom. And lots of teaching, reteaching, remodeling, um, making screencasts so students can be empowered to be self-guided and knowing what they don't know. Um, has been some extra work for teachers this year. Teaching an 80-minute block instead of 43-minute blocks like we used to is different. The schedule is different. There's a lot of exhaustion and worry on behalf of teachers who worry for their safety because the newest building in our district was built in the 70s. All the other ones are even older. And seemingly very little was done to the ventilation system. A lot of the rooms in my building especially don't have windows. In the winter, we were told to keep the windows open for ventilation. And as it got colder and colder, the classroom started getting colder and colder and students started to complain. Parents started to complain. But the ventilation was something that a lot of teachers expressed worry about. Teachers are expending a lot of energy trying to be the kind of teachers that each student needs them to be, which is very different for each student but also trying to advocate for what they believe is basic safety protocols as teachers. And we really spend most of our weekend messaging each other, watching the meetings, reaching out to union leadership. It just seems like we continually bargain away more and more um, just so we can feel safe. And there's a lot of teachers in this district that at first, when we voted on the initial hybrid MOU, assumed that 
decisions would be made in good faith. We started the school year without a contract um, in the good faith that admin would return that kind of mindset to making decisions. But parents have a lot of pull in this town and a lot of school committee members who believe that we should be all in right now or don't believe in mass policies are making sure to say every time there's a school committee meeting how much they want to see all the kids back in school, that remote learning isn't what it's supposed to be, that there's no reason that we shouldn't all be in school right now. Meanwhile, our numbers are soaring and um, they're, they're waiting to get reelected this November. One particular challenge for me is I've started to organize local teachers who care a lot about safety and advocating for themselves um, to try to drown out some of the voices of parents. There's a certain parent in our community whose child is not, his children are not enrolled in our school district. He's homeschooling them this year. And he has started this all-in teachers, all, sorry, he's starting this um, parents for all-in schooling campaign and he gets a lot of pull he knows a lot of the decisions that are being made before teachers even know about them and he has a lot to disparage about teachers in the union he is planning to run for school committee this fall and that's very scary for a lot of teachers considering the comments that he's made this pandemic has really divided this community has really pitted teachers against parents when the true issue is a lack of government support for working parents and a lack of proper sanitation and safety measures for school buildings for people to feel comfortable and safe. I can speak of my school as a whole regarding challenges being that there's a lot that gets swept under the rug in a relatively privileged community, though this community is starting to stumble a little bit on everything that it's trying to cover up. And transparency typically Demands for transparency typically comes at the cost of having a person's reputation put on blast by online forums, social media, word of mouth. And it's very scary to speak up, especially when decisions are being made that treat teachers like disposable, dispensable people whose service is to care for people's children. To And, and we want students to feel safe, but students won't feel as safe if they can tell that their teachers are afraid. There haven't really been advantages for the hybrid model. There have been some advantages for the remote model because we did the remote model toward the end of the school last year and we spent all summer working on our own as teachers, learning how to do things that could make learning engaging and accessible to everyone. We recognize that remote learning has given us some advantages and opportunities connecting with some students who typically wouldn't come into the school building during regular school year. They were tuning into online classes. Um, once students got used to using certain technology, we're able to do really engaging and incredible collaborative things online. We got to practice public speaking, listening, um, making good use of being in a unique situation to try new things. I've really enjoyed connecting with students one-on-one -on -one in a better way. For example, 
while it's really hard to not see students' full faces to make connections or pull students aside and talk to them when we're in the hybrid model, when we are in the remote model or we have the option for remote technology to do a Google chat, I've been able to connect with students one-on-one -on -one that way. I've learned a lot about them. I've connected with them in ways that the traditional, if it was pre-pandemic times, I might not always have the time or ability to do. It's cool to have opportunities to connect with students talk with them, um, sort out certain things by sharing my screen so we can get organized or I can model how to do a certain assignment or we can go over their writing together and be in the same document collaborating on it. That's a really cool opportunity. If I had a magic wand and could set policy, how would my school be operating and why? How much I wish for this kind of magic wand. I think that if I had a magic wand and I was able to change the way that the school is operating, I would have just found a way to have given a choice to teachers and to students and parents. Parents and students can have the choice to go remote, but teachers did not have that option to stay remote in teaching this year. And that created a lot of issues for the almost one third, two thirds of teachers who are feeling unsafe, especially now that there's been several months of an opaque uh, cover-up of information and reasoning behind decision-making. And if I had a magic wand, I would have allowed teachers who wish to teach from home to teach from home and teachers who were comfortable working in the building to work in the building. And if it was a matter of childcare and having enough bodies in the building to be keeping an eye on children, then that was something that over the summer could have been reason to figure out who was going to do what and teach where. People thrive on consistency. People thrive on choice. Um, after we had gone remote for more than two weeks, we were forced as teachers to go back into the building, even though the percentages of cases were very high. And that actually disrupted a lot of teachers who live 45 minutes away, an hour away, who had to wake up early and drive to school to teach from an empty school building in a freezing cold classroom. And it, that decision seemed to come out of spite from ad administration. And these divisions are not going to be quickly healed. This, this treatment of administration to teachers the fact that a lot of decisions that administration is making shouldn't be something that the union even has to fight against. The union shouldn't even have to ask for people to make a decision that will be safe for them um, or for people's concerns to be answered, for people's concerns to be heard. I've written many letters to the school committee and most recently they made sure to very pointedly read my address over the recorded taping of that meeting. And I work in a town that I grew up in. I work in a town that I went through the school system and I wanted to come back here because I knew that there was a lot of work to do, a lot of great things about this town and a lot of things that this town still had ways to grow and a lot of things that are considered traditional modes of operation such as trying to use intimidation are still very ingrained in policymaking in this town. 
but I see the young people in my classroom and I see how absolutely incredible they are, how they notice things, they're honest, they're weird, they're the kind of people that are critically thinking, that are finding ways to connect with people all over the world, that are able to multitask in really meaningful ways. And I don't think young people get enough credit. I think the world is going to be very good hands when they inherit it. And I hope that they inherit a world that they don't have to pick up as many broken pieces as some of the teachers are holding right now. And I don't want the teaching profession to be something that's demonized when it can really be something that is incredible in ushering and guiding these young people into the roles that they're already growing their feet to fit into the shoes of. I, if I had a magic wand, I would probably change the way that parents and teachers have been pitted against each other when it's not parents or teachers that are truly the problem. We have a system that is not sustainable in the way that teachers are teaching, in the way that students are trying to learn while also surviving a pandemic. If I had a magic wand, I would find a way to hold adults accountable that are having their children playing with other children in other households, people who are having gatherings, people who are all spending time together on the holidays while teachers are spending them alone because we're trying to follow the rules and then have to go back into a building with people who blatantly ignored those rules for us to provide a public service. And it, I wish that I could change that mindset and that contention. The pandemic won't last forever. When COVID-19 is under control, I don't think things are going to go back to the way they were in my school. I, th I hope that certain elements of remote learning do persist in the way that it's amazing to use the remote technology such as Google Meet to connect with students. I don't agree with live streaming classes. It doesn't make sense in the context of my classroom. I know it does make sense in the context of other people's classrooms. I love the screencast option to go through slides and record my voice or my face and be able to post that for anybody who missed a lesson so they can watch the video and catch up and feel like they're back into <laughs> the groove of whatever class they missed. I really like that certain meetings that might be in different towns, somebody can just tune into by the click of a button. I hope that when there's certain clubs or certain organizations or certain um, union meetings or things that would require people's input, but they might not be able to physically get there, especially my students with disabilities or coworkers with disabilities or um, who just simply aren't able to be in two places at once. I love that people can connect through technology in this way. I hope that doesn't go away, especially students who have been, who have been benefiting from um, telehealth uh, therapy and being able to connect to people that can give them some kind of support. I think that's really, really cool. Regarding the way that the relationship between administration and teachers is in schools, I can't see that repairing anytime soon. I think that I work in the best building in the district where it comes to how close the teachers are with each other and the relationship they had with admin. I think that that 
admin teacher thread is mostly severed by this point. I think teachers are really discouraged, really anxious, really unheard and have banded together in ways that I, I mean, I've met people and talked to people that I never would have connected to otherwise because they teach in a different part of the building or they're not on my team. And we, we forged some pretty strong alliances and friendships, but I don't know how administration is going to repair some of the missteps that they've taken by this point and continue to take regardless of the feedback that they've gotten. I think that this pandemic hasn't brought new problems as much as it's brought existing problems to light. I think that a lot of the solutions that have been cast towards solving this pandemic is like trying to put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. I think that we need systemic change to support parents, to support students, and to support teachers. I think that the choices that have been made so far have been discouraging when it comes to getting people into buildings as soon as possible and holding students accountable, but then changing the policy or the way of expectations at the last minute, throwing students for a loop. I just keep thinking of my students. I keep thinking about what I would do if I was their age and I was in the middle of a pandemic, how seriously I might've taken the pandemic compared to my friends, how I would have been getting the information about the pandemic. I think about how a lot of my students get their information from TikTok while some of them are reading the news and they're all talking and learning from each other. And while this pandemic has given us a lot of opportunities to be creative, I think that everyone should be able to feel secure, even if it's not possible financially right now, there should be some kind of security that people are making decisions in the best interest of the public. And that doesn't mean at the expense of certain populations of people. I really love teaching. I know that there are a lot of teachers out there who are starting to feel like every next misstep of decision-making is really going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, that they're exhausted, that they're spent. And I'm hoping as we get through this, as we're getting closer to having vaccines, as we're starting to see people make changes that are going to bring the communities into a safer light, I hope that people recognize that getting through this year is going to be a badge of honor, that teaching could never be this hard remotely as much as we could have imagined even in March when we started to put together what remote learning looks like. Safety should be the utmost importance. Student safety and teacher safety should be considered equal fields of concern. And I really appreciate having the opportunity to speak about a lot of this. I think that, again, a lot of the issues in society are thrust upon teachers to solve. And the pandemic has really put a magnifying glass to some of the issues that society's always had and has been able to walk off all this time. But what we really need to do is stop, look, think about the changes that people have made that have been great, talk about them, celebrate them, make those changes for ourselves too. Because doing the right thing when it needs to be done, because it needs to be done, whether it's going to be easy to do or not, is great leadership. Thank you.
So that was Anne and Ariel. Again, my thanks to both of them for sending in their perspectives today and to my listeners. Uh, I hope that you'll add Anne and Ariel's points of view to the constellation of understandings you already possess and let that inform you as you watch and read the news of school reopenings in the days and weeks to come. Let's all continue to hope and work toward the swiftest possible end to the pandemic for the benefit of students, teachers, and all of us. That's all the time we have for now. Class dismissed, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you did, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you found us. Like us on our Facebook page. And if you really enjoy it, please consider visiting our website, www.ed-infinitum.com, and making a donation to keep it running. Otherwise, in the grand tradition of underfunded public schools, we'll be reliant on only what we can make from bake sales. The website is the place to go if you want to suggest a topic or send me an email for any other reason. Our theme music is Happy Schoolmaster by Mind Music ID. Thanks again for listening. And remember, every day brings us opportunities to learn something new. Still with us? Great, then you're in for a treat. Today's fun fact about education. Kimani Maruge of Kenya holds the Guinness World Record for being the oldest person to start primary school. He enrolled in the first grade on January 12, 2004, at the age of 84. There's actually a movie about him entitled The First Grader, so you can show that to any kid or adult who tells you they're too old to learn something new. Bye now.